What's going on, guys? You are listening to the You Can Miss Me With That podcast. My name's Luther, and I am here with Joe Phillips. Joe, say hi to the people. Hey, everybody. Joe Phillips. <laughs> Could you say that any more like a dad? Hey, guys. I, I, I was just... <laughs> How are you? All right, Joe, can you... <laughs> Just introduce yourself to the people, please. Sure. Uh, I'm Joe Phillips. I'm the director of technology for Kansas City Public Schools, and uh, I've been in this position for about a year. Before that, I was at Park Hill School District for three years, and before that, I was an Army officer. So I've been married for uh, all of my adult life, and I have uh, five wonderful boys with my wife, Amanda. My goodness, you gave us the full baseball card background. Yeah, that's exact. If I was a baseball player, that is what the back of my card would say. Do you like baseball? I, I like baseball. I don't sport very much anymore. I don't have a lot of time. I know you do do important work. That's why I was very, very excited to have you on the podcast. And um, can you just, uh, for the people, I know you already went into you, can you just kind of go into your background a little bit and tell us exactly how you got to where you are today? Sure. Um, how far back would you like how, to? However far back you feel comfortable. I've had people from like, I was born. Okay. Here and go all the way up. I've had people just from the time they started working at KCPS. Sure. So I'll go back. I think only because it gives context for me working at KCPS. But mm-hmm. um, so I was I was born here in Kansas City area and um, started school in KCPS. Um, so started at Hartman Elementary and then moved to Cook and then Marlboro and then Wendell Phillips and then Kansas City Middle School of the Arts back when it was called that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I ended up moving in with my grandparents down in Warsaw, Missouri, uh, about halfway through seventh grade and stayed down there until I graduated. So uh, graduated, went into the, the Army uh, and college and did that for all, about 16 years. Mm-hmm. Um, worked my way up to staff sergeant, then I got commissioned as an officer okay. and, and did that for a while. Ended up getting injured a little bit in Afghanistan and getting medically retired from the Army. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I found myself looking for a new passion, something else to do with my time and my days. And so I ended up uh, applying for a position in technology at my kid's school district, uh, right where I lived at Park Hill School District, which is about 20, 25 minutes north of KCPS. Um, worked there for about three years, uh, ended up accomplishing some really cool things that I really loved. Um, ran out of my to-do list, basically, and, and started looking for ways to make a larger impact. Then I was at a COSIN conference um, in, I think, 2017 or 2018. And I heard Dr. Bedell speak, went to his session, and he was talking about uh, equity for his students and, you know, the, the challenges and the work that he's putting in here at Kansas State Public Schools. And I was like, man, if, if I ever get a chance to go work for this guy and go home and help, you know, where I came from be better, then I'm going to jump at that chance. And so um, the position opened um, about a year ago. And... I applied, not thinking I would, you know, get an interview or anything, and I ended up getting an interview, and I got a second interview, um, and then I ended up getting the offer, and to be honest, I was shocked. I was like, oh, they they actually like me. Okay, Mm -hmm. that's great. Um, So I accepted, jumped in with both feet, and uh, I haven't turned back yet, so. It's weird to think that I have technically worked here longer than you. Even though you are, are your your KCPS life, I mean, you you went to school here, now you work here, so you're an OG in a lot of ways. Oh yeah, yeah. So um, I know you briefly touched on your time in the army, so I just want to touch on that a little bit. Also, 
uh, one of my friends, Captain America, he's a Marine. So the minute he's going to hear this, he's immediately okay. going to try and punk you. Oh, gotcha. Oh, so, you okay. know, I, I, I don't understand the beef. I just, I just know it's there. Well, I'll just go ahead and take the first shot. Mm. And since he's a Marine, I don't think he's going to be able to bring it too much. Oh. So, oh. You know. Okay. There's reasons they go into the Marines and not the Army, so oh. I'll just throw that out there. Oh, so this, we're already starting beef. Yeah, we'll just start there. I love the Marines, and I think that they're they're a great addition to the Navy, mm-hmm. um, but the Army doesn't need them because we already do everything they do. Oh, so wow. Wow. I've just realized from this season there's going to be a lot of beef. <laughs> there's going to be a lot of beef on here. Like um, one of the guests, um, Kim and Holmes. He immediately challenged every anchor in the mm. area to like some kind of athletic competition because he believes he's the most athletic anchor in Kansas oh, City. Gotcha. And I'm like, did you just, are you serious? I'm going to take this like piece out and then throw it out there. Yeah, because, just like a snippet. Yeah. Yeah. So, all right, man. Yeah. No, I, I love the Marines. Anybody that, that serves uh, mm-hmm. in our armed forces um, has my utmost respect. Um, I, I, of course, I am partial to the Army because mm-hmm. that's where I grew up. You know, I joined when I was 17. Mm-hmm. And I was there until my 30s. So, um that that was my whole entire adult life until I went into education. So if you never gotten injured, would you would you still be serving now? Yeah, I absolutely would. Um, you know, my goal was to become a general officer and retire as a general, mm-hmm. um, and I was on the path to do that. Um, then the injury happened, and I had to find a whole new purpose for my life. So, so what, were you always kind of into technology, even in the even in the army? Yeah, I mean, I would say. Into technology, yeah. I'm I'm not your normal like techie kind of guy. Mm-hmm. Um, I've always been into what can I do with technology? How can it help achieve what I'm trying to achieve? Yeah. Um, and honestly, most of my career in the army, um, I was started off artillery. Mm-hmm. You know, blowing things up, and I got into intelligence, and then counterintelligence. Then I became a human resources officer for about ten years, and you know. That's where I spent most of my time in the Army. Um, I did some IT along the way, and then my last few positions in the Army, I was an IT director. Um, but I, I think I look at it a little bit differently than guys who come up strictly from an IT background, mm-hmm. where for me it's about the people and it's about the organization and the structure, and then how IT can be leveraged to make that better. Mm-hmm. Because you know technology is constantly changing and evolving, and it's very similar to how you always have people coming and going in an organization mm-hmm. and you're always putting the right people in the right places and the right jobs to keep the organization going same exact thing with technology you're finding what new technologies are coming out which ones are, are going away and what's going to meet your needs right now to reach your overall organizational goals so it's, it's very very similar so i've always wondered about this and i'm actually going to ask this question again to a couple other people i'm thinking about putting for this season um, can you describe the transition home? Because I, I, it could be different for multiple people, but I think yours is a special case because of what happened to you. And um, I, like my thing, I'll tell you this, when I played football and when I was done, the transition was actually a lot harder than I was even, even I was prepared for. Because I was, for a long time, I was like, hey, wake up at six, go lift weights at 2.30 on Tuesday, and then go do this. So for a long time, I, I'll probably say maybe a couple years after I was done, it was like it, it finally hit me, but even then, it was like, what do I do? Even though yeah. like, I had the degree and all that, I didn't know what exactly yeah. what to do. Well, it's so different. Um, you know, I think I think football is probably similar, but being a soldier, that's who you are. It's not just what you do. Mm-hmm. You know, my my first name 
wasn't even my name. It was whatever rank I was at the time. So, you know, I was Private Phillips or Sergeant Phillips or Lieutenant Phillips or Captain Phillips. And so, you know, I was, that was who I was. Mm-hmm. And even even just the transition to being called by my real first name mm-hmm. was very weird. My first name is Josiah. And I'm like, that feels very private to me. Mm-hmm. Um, I see why you, you have people call you Joe and all. Yeah. <laughs> yeah so. That's a tough name. We're yeah. trying to get some stuff done in here. Yeah. So, you know, and, and that was a big decision I had to make transitioning. And, you know, what name was I going to put on my resume? What was I going to go by? Like, who was I going to be as a person? Because I was so invested in who I was as a soldier that coming out and um, into what we call the civilian world, um, which I think we should, probably shouldn't call it the civilian world. It's, it's just the world. Um, but, you know, coming out and realizing, you know, not just what am I going to do, but who am I now? You know, what's my purpose now? And that, that was a big struggle. Um, <clears throat> fortunately, I had about two years to, to work on that and figure that out. So I was um, injured in around November of 2012. Mm-hmm came back in December, right before Christmas, Mm -hmm. 2012. Then I got moved to Fort Riley, Kansas, January 2013. And the intent was to have a couple surgeries and and send me back to Afghanistan, Mm -hmm. or at least back to active duty. Uh, But surgeries just kept leading to more surgeries, to more physical therapy and recovery. And next thing I know, it's 2015. Mm -hmm. Um, And that whole time, you know, at first I was like, oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be good. They're going to fix me. They're going to put me back in. About a year into it, I was like, okay, I don't know what's going to happen. It looks like I might not heal. Hit the 18-month mark, and it's like, okay, okay, I'm not going to, like, this is it. This is as good as I'm going to get. And so it's see if I'm good enough to go back in, mm-hmm. you know, because I'm not getting any better. Um, then it was, okay, you're not good enough to go back in. It's time to start looking at potentially retiring you. And then that was about... A six-month process mm-hmm. and that's when I started getting really busy so, so I started learning how to apply for jobs learning how to do the resumes and I had some pretty good background as an HR officer but um, really learning that process and it was going through a lot of those interviews um, learning who I was answering those questions that um, made me really think a lot about what is it do I want to do? And I learned it was very important for me to stay in public service. You know, I'm, I'm not about dollars. I'm not about, you know, profit margins or making decisions because it's going to help quarterly earnings. I'm about I need a real mission mm-hmm. that has real impact on people's lives. And if I have that, then I wake up every morning very excited to go to work. So I learned that about myself. Um, then I had to think about, all right, my HR guy or my technology guy? Because in the Army, you're whatever they tell you you are at that moment. So, you know, you collect these skills along the way, and they say, oh, based on your skills, you're going to spend two years doing this job. Oh, now we're going to move you over here. Mm-hmm. But coming out into the world, it was uh, much more, okay, I need to decide who am I based off the skills that I have. Mm-hmm. And I decided technology was what I really loved based on the impact. Mm-hmm. And going into education was going to be very powerful for me. And I made the decision because I felt like there's other people that could do HR very well and make impacts with HR. Mm-hmm. But I felt like technology is, is 
changing so much right now and you know it's not even called IT anymore people stop calling it IT because that's just one part of what technology is mm -hmm. and I think that there's not a lot of people that have that vision to see what technology is becoming especially in education and I felt like okay this can be my calling this is what I can do this is how I can contribute to the world and then adding that with coming back home to KCPS and being able to make these changes I was able to make in a suburban wealthy school district mm -hmm. here where it counts even more mm -hmm. uh, that was very very powerful for me so let's transition to what you actually do here so can you just describe for people what exactly I know you already said your position, but what exactly is your position and what does it entail here, especially in a school district? Sure. So it is very different here in a school district than it would be, you know, at Black and Veatch or H&R Block or something like that. So I have many duties and responsibilities that are the same. So um, from the running of all our backend infrastructure, our network switches, our servers, um, our applications that we run from you know, our ERP system that does our payroll and our accounting and, and all that to our student information system. So there's a lot of traditional, what would be called IT mm -hmm. stuff in that. And, and for that, um, my role is gonna vary day to day, but overall, my job as a director is to set the vision of what we're trying to accomplish, mm -hmm. put the right people in the right places, make sure they have what they need to do their jobs. Then on the educational technology side of it, it's what can we do for our school system to make it run like a school system to look for efficiencies and think ways to make things more effective so that can be in the classroom or it can be you know in the communications department or business and finance department how can we help with athletics how can we help principals get the data and reports that they need how can we help the superintendent and how can we help human resources streamline their processes so with that it goes a lot deeper than the tech and it goes into processes and then how technology can imp help improve those processes and so with that I do the same exact thing I have another assistant director on that side of the house that works with all of that thing stuff and I do the basically the same thing I make sure we have the right people in the right places make sure that they have the resources that they need give them the direction and leadership and purpose that they need uh, and then overall make sure that motivation's working and everybody's rowing in the same direction so that's overall what my job is Okay, so like you said, like technology evolves, education is evolving. So can you talk about how your, your job, especially coming from the district you were at before, because I can't remember the name exactly. Oh, Park Hill. Park Hill. Yeah. Oh, shout out to Pretty Boy Nick. He's a, a <laughs> special education teacher out there. I play football with him okay. in America. So shout out to you, even though he's probably never going to hear this. He doesn't listen to podcasts. He's a weird dude. But <laughs> um, so can you talk about how your job has evolved throughout the years? Yeah, absolutely. So um, it was probably, um, I, I, it was early, early 21st century where mm -hmm. schools started to realize that the structure and the way that they are educating kids was not going to prepare them for the 21st century. Mm -hmm. And so they decided in some of these bigger, more innovative districts um, back in the early 2000s that they needed to really buy into technology and teaching these kids how to use technology and really what has really changed is two things one school is no longer about learning information up until kind of mid 90s early 90s it was really about a teacher has knowledge the teacher gives that knowledge to the students and then the teacher tests the students on the retention of that knowledge and we are way past that in education now 
knowledge is at our fingertips. You can Google anything. You can, you know, the knowledge is there. And what we have to teach our kids to do is how to use that knowledge. So it's no longer, you know, a teacher-focused classroom. It's student-focused, and it's teaching them how to use the information that they have available to solve problems, to do projects, and, and that kind of thing. So along with that, the natural thing, I think, for school systems to do was to go, oh, we have tech people. You know, let's, let's rely on those tech people to make this happen for us. And what ended up happening was the layer of educational technology called substitution. So substitution is they had a textbook. Mm -hmm. Now they have a computer that has the textbook digitally on it. Mm -hmm. But they're still using it the same. It's just an electronic resource now. Yeah. So that's substitution. And that can be helpful and you can have some things go out there. But ultimately you want to get to transformation where the teaching and learning changes from that memorizing knowledge and rote memorization and drill and practice and, and that kind of stuff to really deep educational learning processes that are happening and students learning how to learn, learning how to solve those problems. And in order to do that, in technology, in education, you can't just be an IT guy anymore. You have to understand education. You have to understand how the tools that you can bring in to benefit can add value. And you have to know that almost better than the people who are strictly the education people because they're coming at it from the other direction. They know about education. They know, you know what they want to achieve, but they don't know the technology. So they might say, oh, this is going to be really cool. Let, let us test our kids on this or that, or let us do, you know, it'll make us, we can take pictures of stuff or, or something like that. Um, but when the educational people start coming to the technology department, mm -hmm. if you just fulfill their needs without understanding them, you really can't go much deeper than that substitution because they don't know what exists out in tech and how that, so the job of a technology director in k-12 education now is building that bridge between the two so that you know and can make sure that the educational goals are aligning with the technology goals oh that you answered like four of my questions right there <laughs> so um i think a lot of your your department's work even though i think a lot of people see like the like the kids are getting new computers and they're getting this, they're getting that. They're seeing all the, I think the stuff like the shiny stuff mm -hmm. that a lot of, a lot of parents want to make sure their kids are having, but a lot of, a lot of your work is behind the scenes. Um, I'll, I'll never forget it. I think my first time really ever getting to meet you was when you did that big meeting last year where everybody in the central office came in and you described how much of a target we actually are as a school district. Oh yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, the, the kind of the things that seem like common sense, but especially as so much is just revolving around you. So a lot of people fall for things and it happens. Right. And it's just your job to make sure that, hey, don't click that email about the guy who's pretending to be your boss asking for your Social Security number. So um, can you just describe um, why like um, that behind the scenes work is so important? The things that people don't see every day, like the, 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 the phishing attempts. The things like that, especially, I don't know if you actually want to talk about it, the situation we were in, basically right when you started, which is completely unfair to you because you're still trying to, even though it's your home, you don't know it, it right. like, like you used to. So can you just talk about why your work is so important in terms of protecting us, uh, 
from any outside threats why school districts such as KCPS and it doesn't have to be because we're an inner city school district it's any school district sure, sure. why we're such targets yeah so um, what's really important to understand is that there are places in the world where people wake up in the morning and they go into work and they go in they sit at their computer and for those eight hours a day that they're working their normal shift at their job that they get paid for with benefits and time off and all of that. Oh, that's me right there. Just kind of me. Yeah. Their entire job is to find vulnerable organizations throughout the world and compromise them in order to get financial resources out of them. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you... you Everybody likes to think that it's some guys in some hoodies down in the basement, somewhere like that. No, these are people up in high-rise buildings, mm-hmm. um, and that is their full-time job. And so I, I like to tell people that first and foremost to get them to understand that you're not dealing with four people out there in the world in the dark basement in a hoodie. You're dealing with actual organizations that in the part of the world that they're in, they're not breaking any laws. Mm-hmm. And this is a profit and loss business for them. Let's say, yeah, this isn't like a movie that you see. No, no, not at all. It's like two kids, two teenagers in their basement playing COD and drinking Mountain Dew. Yeah, not at all. And so first just realize, you know, if you think of a call center or a call bank, you know, Mm -hmm. just for a company, right? Think of those rooms full of people just on the phone or whatever. You know, that's how these organizations are. They're just packed full of people. They even have customer service departments so that if you're having trouble, you know, decrypting the data with the tools they gave you, you can contact their customer service after they've blackmailed you mm-hmm. in order to, to help you because they need a good reputation. You know the worst part? Uh, Mr. Josiah was in the zone. And <laughs> then the air conditioner just decided to come on. So this is going to be like a weird transition real quick. Ass. I'm so bad right now. Like I'm just like, come on, man. Like you were, you were good, you were hot, and then so we're basically gonna start over, or not start over, just <clears throat> yeah. I'll just I'll I'll pick up where I was talking about them needing a good reputation, mm-hmm. and then I can go from there. So, so yeah, um, <clears throat> these these agencies um, need to have good reputations because when they send out these things. Um, whether or not they get paid is kind of based off their reputation on the dark web. So, you know, the, the companies that come in and do the remediation and get you back up and running, they're going to be able to say, okay, it was, you know, these these dudes in Russia that did this. We we're, know this group has a pretty good reputation for actually taking your money and giving you what you need to get your data back and that kind of stuff. So, yeah, reputation is important. And I think it, it's really important for school districts to understand that, the way this works is these guys go after what's considered soft targets, so easy things to get into. You know, they're looking for open doors, open windows, um, not the things with you know huge, ginormous concrete walls that they have to scale to then get past you know encrypted security and, and all of that. They're they're looking for easy targets, and there's tools that let them scan the entire internet looking for these targets. And it's the people who think, oh, this can't happen to us. Um, that they're looking for in order to do it too because you know it started off first with banking you know those were the easy targets back in the day then it moved to hospitals 
and hospitals have started to have a more defensive posture so they're harder to get into you know it's just like buying windows or alarm systems or whatever for your house they're, they're harder to get into so you know imagine guys that are trying to drive around a city looking for a good target of a house to break into so they can get some stuff they steal your stuff and then they sell it back to you that's what these guys are basically doing um, or they steal your stuff and then they sell it to other people who can then sell it to more people and because it's data it can be sold over and over and over again um, so it's really important for school districts to know that that is what you're up against they are looking for you and it will happen to you they just haven't got to you yet, but they are looking. They're actively out there looking. They want to rob every house that they can. Uh, so as a school district, it's really important to know that. And then secondly, one of the reasons why school districts are such a good target for these guys is because they can steal student data. And when you steal a student data, imagine the difference between, you know, somebody leaves their house for an the evening to go out on the town or whatever and you know that you have a couple of hours that you can break in clear out their house before they're going to be home now imagine you know for a fact that these people won't be back for 10 years they've left their house they're not going to be back for 10 years they're not even going to know for 10 years that you stole their television and they're out there selling your stuff and all that when you steal a student's data it can be 10 12 years before they even know their data has been stolen. So that's 10 to 12 years that that data isn't being you know, monitored, it's not being you know, protected. It's not until these kids grow up and they're trying to get college loans or credit cards or something like that, that their ID is being flagged as being you know, sold and used to buy yachts and Bitcoin and, and all this other stuff. And so it can absolutely ruin your students' lives and you won't even know for a decade. And so that's why it's so important to be proactive in technology in school systems. And, you know, to kind of talk about what happened with us back in September, it wasn't so much this as it was, you know, another huge issue in, in school districts where our technology wasn't being invested in kind of like our buildings deteriorating you know deferred maintenance so we had a lot of equipment that was really really old and a, a lot of patchwork had been done to keep the stuff running well in September we had a catastrophic failure and it cascaded through our entire infrastructure you know, this thing broke and it caused us to work harder. So it broke and it caused us to work harder. And so that broke. And we, at my 91st day, had to rebuild everything um, in the entire district. So it plunged our district back to 1965. We were taking attendance on paper. Our bell system didn't even work. We had to, you know, have teachers go through the school to say when it was time to switch classes and that kind of stuff. So luckily we were able to get our security stuff up and running, like our visitor management system and that kind of stuff by the time school started the next day. Um, but a lot of our systems, it, it took a week or two to get fully back up and functioning. And one of the reasons I'm really happy that I came here is because I've been able to ask our cabinet and our board to invest in our technology to make sure that that doesn't happen again. And not just a one-time purchase, but a technology plan, a technology cycle, so that we can keep these things up to date. I, I'm saying this, especially during the incident, or whatever. I never realized how much I really used like the internet for my job. And I know um, me and uh, Megan, I'm just wondering what you are, webmaster. There were days where we're like, what do we, what do, we do? <laughs> yeah. 
So, um, and then it forces to probably me, especially, I, don't, I can't speak for any other party, but for us to be more resourceful and um, use other means that I know I still use now, just in case, like, hey, I can take it up. Even though I know that you, you've done hard work. I think it's also a little preventative, a little cautionary mm -hmm. to make sure that if we, do, if we are in the event of that, like, if I have something I need to get done, let's just say I'm doing something for the board, I can't be like, well, um, internet's out or something's out, I can't do it. Like, I, it'd like to show that, like, hey, I can still come in mm -hmm. and get this done. And it was tough. It was tough for a while because it was one of those things like you just took it for granted until it wasn't there. Yeah, I mean, it's it's one of those things because it it layers up on you the way t you know technology does. You don't even realize how many layers you're using. Just you know, just to get in the building, you know, you have to scan your badge. Well, if the internet's down, you're not getting in the building. Like, there's that kind of stuff. Um, and so it did a couple things. One, you know, like you're saying, it helped people become more resourceful, but also. Um, it's no longer a scare tactic. Mm -hmm. Like we're not like don't click on this link because this could happen. It's like you've seen it. yeah, you, you've seen what can happen when systems go down, mm -hmm. and now you know that you doing these things can make a system go down. Mm -hmm. um, and so it um, it was very very powerful. And I think you know we we were able to get some really cool tools now where. Now we have software. If you click on that link, you're not, it's not going to take you there. We have software that go, looks out ahead to see where that link's going to take you to see if it's safe. Um, or that attachment, before it even opens, our software is running that attachment, seeing if it's dangerous or safe before it allows you to open it. So what that did is allow us to take a lot of the onus off of our end users uh, and put it on our software where we can put faith in that because we're never going to be able to get 100% of our users to never click on those links. Mm -hmm. So we still want to train. We still want people to be as cautious as they possibly can, but we still need to have an extra layer of protection there for those that, you know, honestly, we have invoices come in. You know, this is one of those favorite things of those people that are sitting in those, you know, labs is to send a in something that says invoice or late invoice uh, to a accounts payable department and you're district or to a company and you're like oh this, I get invoices all day long I'm gonna click on this um, and then that tries to launch something and the thing about the way security measures work is if we tried to block every email that had the word invoice in it now we can't do business mm -hmm. because we get legitimate invoices that say invoice so we had to find other measures that we could put into place to stop these bad things from happening so uh that to prevent another incident, whether it's here or it's with another company entity. So can you describe some of the challenges that you face as a department every day? Just with security or? Either with security or, I know mainly because right now we're talking about security, so you just want to start there. Sure. Um, I think, you know, one of the things that every technology department is kind of going through right now, and this is whether you're in K-12 education or you're in private industry or, you know, government work or whatever, is not a lot of people are understanding the transition that's happening with technology right now. And I call the transition getting out of the basement. Um, you know, historically, IT has been thought of as this group of people that are down in the basement and when something breaks... They go and fix it, or when it's time to refresh or get some new tech, they're the ones that set it up. 
uh, that's not good enough anymore. It's not good enough for industry. It's not good enough for education. We really have to get in there and see how our other business partners inside our organization are working so that we can help them because they are all wanting to find ways to make what they do better. And if we're not the ones guiding them, they're going to be listening to salespeople. So, you know, human resources, our department here, they're wanting to change how they onboard people. And to do that, they're wanting to use a computer system in order to do that, um, an automated system that does all these different features. Well, if I wasn't willing to get out of the basement, partner with them, understand exactly what it is they're trying to do, and then go help them try to find that solution, they're going to listen to salespeople. And now there's a new solution in my environment as a director of technology that I don't understand. I don't know if it meets their needs, and I have to make it work. And so you can be proactive or you can be reactive. And the way things are going now, you're not going to be a senior leader in technology if you're reactive. Those days, you got to maybe, depending on where you are, you can hide out for maybe another five years. But the way industry is going, the way technology is going, if you think of yourself just as an IT guy, just as a guy that likes to tinker with tech, you're not going to make it in technology leadership. So, um, you were you talking about how students are such like uh, our targets? So, what do you do in terms of security to defend um, our students' data or even our employees? Sure. Um, so the first thing is to be proactive as much as possible. Um, so we, you know, we we have traditional antivirus software that we use. We have intrusion detection and response software that we use. We're monitored by an uh, organization called MSISAC, which is under the Department of Homeland Security. They monitor all our network traffic and alert us to anything fishy that they see. Um, we don't allow people to log in from our network from foreign countries. So if anybody does compromise a username or a password and they're, you know, in Nigeria or Russia or China or, you know, somewhere, they won't be able to log in. So, uh, cut, cut you off here. Does anyone, let's just say, like, somebody's going to Mexico and they want to uh, log in for some reason, like an employee, that mean your, your, your SOLs are like, hey, sorry? Yeah, so you're going to be SOL unless you let us know ahead of time. And then we can, for that limited period of time, we can allow you to log in from that specific country you're going to. But I'm not going to open you up to worldwide travel. Oh, that makes uh, so much sense. And so. I, I do that um, the last time uh, I'm from now. That's the last time I went. I, I didn't even think about it. Like, I never thought, like, oh, it's okay for me to go to Africa and go try and get a burger. I mm-hmm. called uh, my bank and he said, hey. Oh, this time and this time, I'm going to be gone. And they're like, you know, nobody ever tells us that. Uh-huh. And they that awkward, angry call. Oh, why is it my card? Mm-hmm. Like, bro, what are you doing in, like you said, what are you doing in uh, Russia right now? Yeah. I'm from there. I'm here visiting family. Sorry, we didn't know that. Yeah. And, you know, a great example is we have a foreign language academy. Yeah. And, you know, a lot of those teachers go home for the summer. Yeah. And they go to all countries all over the world. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I got a, I got an email from the principal a couple of weeks ago. It's like, hey, none of my teachers can log in. I'm trying to send emails. So I'm like, where are they? Because I knew it was a foreign language academy principal. And he's like, oh, well, they went to you know their home countries. I'm like, okay, well, send me a list of who they are, what countries they're in, how long they're going to be there, and we'll give them access for that limited period of time in those geographic regions. But, I mean, that that's a huge protection right there um, because that's at least one layer where now, you know, if a bad actor's trying to get in, they now at least have to pretend they're from the U.S. 
and so that's at least one extra step that they have. But nothing that we do is going to be a hundred percent, you know, solution proof to stop people from getting in. It's like trying to keep people out of your house. You, you can't hundred percent keep people out of your house. So the next thing that you do um, after you put all your, you know, prevention measures in place is you have to have your response. Um, you have to expect that something bad's going to happen, and you have to prepare how you're going to respond when that happens. So that's with our backup systems, our storage solutions, how fast we can come back up after things go down. And so we have re-architected how all of that works in the district, and we're, we're bringing all that stuff in right now. And then we do what's called tabletop exercises, where we, you know, we're like, oh, well, our print server's down, or email's down. What are we going to do? How do we bring it back up? And then we bring it back up so that my team knows how to do it, and they've done it. And then part of what I really love about tabletop exercises is it's theater, because I go in and I stress people to the max while that's happening. And I really try to emerge them in that experience as much as possible to where they forget that it's an exercise you know so we're going to work 30 hour days we're we're going to you know eat junk food the whole time exactly how it's going to be um we're going to have people like dr bedell calling on the phone upset and trying to figure out what's going on and, and that kind of stuff to really get people to forget that this is an exercise and not the real deal because you have to train the same way that it's going to be so, can you, now can you talk about, you said you have to be uh, reactive and you talk about this, let's talk about the other side. There's only so much that you can do um, to prevent, to at least prevent KCPS from being attacked. So, can you talk about some uh, measures or things that, let's say I could do. I mean, right now, anytime I get a weird email, whether it's good or not, like I accidentally before, um, when we had the Chiefs at Lincoln on um, Monday, uh, I sent, I sent, uh, they sent me an email, your system caught it, and immediately I was like, I don't know this Joe Sargent dude, I sent it to help desk, right? Mm -hmm. And then uh, the dude's like, oh, yeah, this is actually, this is actually the guy, so you're fine. Yeah. So, um, can you just talk about the preventive measures that you would want an employee or even somebody, whoever's listening to this, that, hey, this is what you should do to kind of protect yourself? Yeah, so, I'll start with KCPS first, because it's a little bit easier, so... The first thing that we do is every email that comes from somebody outside of KCPS, we have a banner on it that says this came from outside KCPS. So that way, if it looks like it came from another KCPS employee, you can see that it didn't. The other thing is every one of those banners says, you know, if this is a questionable email, send it to bad email at KansasCityPublicSchools.org so that they know exactly what they should do with that email. Sending it to help desk is fine because they're just going to forward it over to that address. I get some sent to me, and I just forward it over to that address. But that address goes to our security people. They investigate, and, you know, we get emails throughout the day, hey, just don't know if this is a real email or not. We can tell in about 20 seconds if it's a legit email or if it's a phishing attempt or something like that. We have software that um, helps us with that. So we just run the email through that, and and it'll tell us. Um, so. That's one thing. The other thing is really just, and it's hard because the natural state for humans is to be complacent. We want to be complacent. We want to feel like we're secure. We want to feel like we're comfortable. So complacency always, always sets in with employees. So, you know, it, it's hard, but if you can really think about who's sending you stuff, did you know it was coming, you know, 
one of the easiest things to do is does the email address match the person? You know, like that Dr. Bedell email, you know, that you were talking about earlier. If you would have just saw right next to Mark Bedell, it's not his email address. I mean, that's the first thing I do. I'm like, that's weird. Besides the fact that the overall boss of the organization is sending me an email right. personally when I see him every day he come talk to me or he send somebody else. Um, it was just the fact that I'm like, well, that's weird. Why is it, his email not like that at all compared to how, obviously, my name's not the same as Dr. Bedell's, but, you know, just the format. That right. I'm like, that's, that's weird. Yeah, so just, just kind of looking for stuff like that. You know, it's like if you go to, if you roll up to, actually I'll flip it. So if, you know, somebody from the gas company shows up at your house, but they're clearly not wearing a gas company uniform or, you know, something like that, are you going to let them in? If, you know, if you didn't know they were coming, you know, some people, yeah, uh, you're, you say you're the gas company. Well, guess what? Criminals pretend that they're the gas company. And so, you know, gas company shows up at my house, I'm going to be like, show me that you're from the gas company, like for real. Um, before I let them in. So it's just, it's kind of thinking like that and think of your computer as a house. Mm-hmm. Who are you gonna let in to your house? And think of your data as your stuff. Who are you gonna give your stuff to? You know, especially when it's student data or, you know, any any personal identifiable information on anybody. I, I will never ever email somebody to ask for that stuff. I always ask for that in person because I don't want anybody to think that oh, it could be real and I think that's a really good habit to get into also is don't email people asking for stuff mm-hmm. um, you know it, it's the easy thing to do um, but really think about what you're asking for and you know one of the things that in a school district we have to think about is sunshine law mm-hmm. and once that is emailed across it's sunshineable and so if you're, you know, emailing, saying, can you send me that? And now you're sending me this. And then so anytime a sunshine request comes in, now our IT department and our legal department has to go through every single one of those emails, look to see if there's identifiable information. If there is, then we can't send it. And it just creates this big process. So mm-hmm. what I would say is for employees, figure out processes where you can be more secure in your actions and you're not just openly sharing data that you should find other ways to, to share. Um, we actually, wow, I, I am so enthralled. Right? <laughs> I don't know what I'm going to Coming up with your questions was probably one of the hardest of the whole season because I wanted to make sure that I'm not, this is important. Also, trying to stop, like, I know who those people are. I'm not going to name them. The people who put, like, their password as passwords. Oh, yeah. And it comes, the list comes out every year. I'm like, just, just stop. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mean, they'll do that. Um, or the ones that will, you know, stick their password on a post-it note under their keyboard Mm -hmm. or stuff like that. Like, yes, it's convenient, but it is not secure. Mm -hmm. Like, make your password, one of the easiest things to do is just make it an acronym Mm -hmm. with some numbers and a special character in there. So, to... Yeah, I've even noticed more and more websites are starting to do that. Like, hey, we need a, um, what is it, a capital letter, a lowercase letter, and a special character with a number. Yeah. And, and maybe for people it's frustrating for me. I'm like, I get it. And then I think maybe the toughest one's like, all right, so what am I going to put down that's easy, easy to remember? And, and it turns out that if you just put some extra time into it, I know it sucks for a little while, but then you like, you understand why 
um, especially when you hear like Equifax, like eight hundred million people have been oh, exposed, yeah. mm-hmm. and and all of these things, and you're like, okay, take a little, take a little extra time to protect yourself. Yeah, I mean, absolutely, you have to protect yourself because you know it, it's it's like leaving your keys in the car when it's unlocked. Mm-hmm. That's what you're doing when you're keeping your stuff unsecure and. The password stuff, it you know, that's just one thing that you can do to help secure yourself, but it is so important. And, you know, people want to lean on that convenience and that complacency, oh, it won't happen to me. It absolutely will happen to you. You know, it. Um, I can't even tell you how many times a day we're having to contact people because their password was compromised. You know, we, we had an incident today where um, a teacher's password was compromised and all their student grades were changed and we had to go and roll it back. You know, it could have been as simple as they had their password somewhere, students could have seen it, and then they used it to go change their grades or something like that. So um, you you have to get over the idea that it can't happen to you um, and, and stop thinking like that or it's gonna happen to you. So that that's just, it's so incredibly important. Uh, so um, as we kind of wind down here, so can you talk about Yeah, I think the the future's exciting and frightening all at the same time. So, you know, you, when it comes to cybersecurity, you're in an arms race constantly. And whatever tools are out on the market are already outdated because the bad guys have already been able to purchase those tools and find ways to defeat them. So I think AI um, in these tools has been huge. So, you know, some of the tools that we have it used to be, we'll just take antivirus software. Okay, so you you have antivirus software. The way that works is it gives you a list of what's called signatures. And this is stuff that the software looks for in the emails or in the attachments or in the files that are trying to run your computer. And if it matches the signature, it won't run. Okay. That's only as strong as your last update of signatures. And now there's AI programs out there that use machine learning that as soon as something tries over in India, if they have the same software, this program tried to run on this computer in India, anybody who has this protection software automatically gets an update. And now that won't run anywhere else in the world if you have that protection software. So that's much more powerful than you know semantic antivirus um, Norton coming up. I was about to say Norton. Yeah. It's much more powerful than them coming out with a new list every month or every week of updates because however much time's gone by between the last list and the next list, you are vulnerable. So now it's milliseconds until we have a new protection in place and that's constantly updating. And that's just something that's so much more powerful that we've been able to put in place. But at the same time, Probably six months from now, we're going to have to add another layer of protection because 
they're going to find ways around that. I was going to say, um, is there any, maybe you don't remove a layer of protection, but let's just say a layer of protection from right when we first started. And um, how obsolete does that get that you're like, maybe not remove, but you're like, uh, maybe we don't maybe focus. I don't know exactly how to formulate this question. Yeah. We don't maybe focus on it as much because we got to worry about now. And now that's a year or a year and a half from now. Yeah. Um, so the, the best thing I can say is one of the easiest ways to hack somebody is to use old, outdated stuff um, that people think they no longer have to protect against. So, you know, Windows operating system has vulnerabilities back in XP. Right, so people are like, "Oh, I'm not going to worry about XP because we're way past Windows XP." I'm worried about, you know, Windows 10 and, and blah blah. Well, if you don't know that you have a Windows XP computer that is running your school bells on your network, and that you have to update that computer, you're vulnerable. Uh, and that's especially in school districts. You have Windows XP. Windows 7, Windows 8, 8.1, 10. I mean, that I'm just naming stuff that was in this environment when I got here. But school districts don't update like industry does, typically. Um, ours will from now on. But um, And so, you know, you'll look at these security patches coming down and you'll patch all your Windows 10 systems or your age but it's easy to forget about this old outdated stuff or old, you know, DOS attacks that could still happen or, or stuff like that. So. My philosophy personally is no, you can never take away an old layer of security. Um, maybe some of the stuff we could do is, you know, old physical layer telecom type security because we don't use that method to transport data anymore. Mm -hmm. But ultimately, I would say no, don't take away layers of security that you, you've put in place um, unless you're taking away the system that it's protecting. Um, and then. Um, what was the other part of the question? I forgot. Oh, crap. Like, I was so into it. I think it was maybe just the fact I was really just talking about do you ever act as like, do you ever feel comfortable taking away an old layer of protection? And you obviously said no. So, um, what would you just had on top of your brain? I was so into what you were saying. Okay. I was like, oh, crap. So, I said, so maybe, uh, I, um, uh, come on, Rupert, this is, this is, this is, <laughs> okay, I think it had something to do with new layers or something. Yeah, so, um, um, but I'll go ahead and talk about new layers, mm -hmm. which is, um, it's a constant. So we use something called the NIST Cybersecurity Framework, um, which is, you know, it's a federal framework for the United States of cybersecurity standards. And one of the things I was very fortunate to do here was hire an information security officer and a technology security specialist. Mm -hmm. um, and now it is their full-time job to make sure that we are secure. Um, and again, you know, you're never 100% secure, um, but it's their job to work with the agencies to find out what the newest threats are, what we need to do to protect ourselves, and they're forward-looking mm -hmm. while also making sure that we're staying secure. So I want to talk about outside factors. So whether it is like legislation that is passed, um, that can affect your job. I mean, you did mention Sunshine Law, which is, uh, I, last year I had to go to one of my cousin's classes, she was graduating high school, and she had me speak on um, for her class. And, you know, I'm just a graphic designer, and uh, 
I, at one point, I just talked to my sunshine. I was like, any teacher or anybody in the school district, you can just sunshine my request. Mm -hmm. And then I had a kid like, what does that mean? Like, um, if you want to do something, maybe, like, um, I think it wasn't in this school district. It was, I was a track coach right after college. And I was at a small private school in, in Kansas. And I had a parent because um, their kid was, uh, was playing badly, was running badly, wouldn't understand what was going on. It turned out the kid was injured and just mm. didn't tell the parents. But see, Shunside required, uh, requested the head coach who was a teacher. So uh, he, at one point, he's like, she was like, I have to leave practice to go take care of this. Mm -hmm. So that's my way that was my assistant. So can you talk about there? Mitigating factors such as legislation or um, obviously you say the new threats um, that can adversely affect your job. Yeah, so um, I, I, I don't want to use the word adversely affect mm -hmm. um, because yeah, when, that was my bad. yeah, when it comes to legislation, um, you know, there's, I like to believe there's reasons legislation are put in place. So, mm -hmm. you know, we think of uh, GDPR, for example, which is like I, it's, it's a European thing. I think it's general data protection regulation or something like that. So the you know Europe has to use the this level of protections. Well, that follows European citizens wherever they go in the world. So, you know, if we have a European citizen that falls under this in our district, mm -hmm. we have to ensure that they are provided this level of protection okay. in our district. So that's that's just one thing. The other thing is cybersecurity is huge and a lot of state and local governments are passing cybersecurity legislation. Um, they're, they're definitely working on it. Um, a couple of years ago, the Missouri State Auditor was auditing school districts over their cybersecurity. I was at a district that was being audited. We did pretty good at the audit, but... Um, <laughs> but, you know, it, it's... It's coming to the forefront more. People are becoming more educated on it, and it's no longer something that you can just delegate over to a couple of IT people. Mm -hmm. You know, Dr. Bedell, our superintendent, has to know about cybersecurity and our cybersecurity footprint. It's in his job description, and it is in his evaluation as superintendent that he is keeping our data safe. And so those are the kinds of changes that you really start to see. And, you know, we have a new savvy board that knows about cybersecurity. And, you know, one of them works at Cerner. One of them works for a congressman. Like, they know that data security is this huge thing. And, you know, I would say that that, you know, puts pressure on me. But the truth is, using the correct uh, frameworks, using the best industry practices and standards, I am always going to be in compliance with new laws as they come out. Um, and if we're not, we're going to get there immediately. So, you know, I focus and, and stay current on legislation as it's going up to be passed and, and once it's passed, when it's going to come into effect. The only thing I would say that that might do in terms of um, a big change is I bring in people to audit us on all of our stuff. So, you know, it's cybersecurity, how our support structure is set up, you know, how our infrastructure is set up, and those audit findings might change based on somebody else's interpretation of a new law or something like that. And um, generally, I'll say, oh, wow, that's interesting. I see your perspective, and we'll put a new security measure in place or, or something in our infrastructure, or we'll change something in the way that we do support or, or something like that. All right, so I got some rapid-fire questions to kind of put a bow on this thing. Okay. So um, so do you have, like, a crazy story 
uh, from your time here as an IT director, whether it's here or it's in parking or some kind of crazy thing you got going on? Just crazy story at all? Yeah, I like, I like hearing crazy stories. Okay, so I'll just tell you one that comes to mind real quick. I won't tell you the the computer manufacturer, but <laughs> I'll tell you it um, It was right when I started at Park Hill. Um, so I went, it was a Mac. I'm not gonna, not gonna say what it was. Um, what I will say is, you know, we're working with them, and it turns out that the devices we got for our kids, the screws were falling out of the bottom. Uh-huh. And before I got there, they had worked with the manufacturer. They they had tried using like Loctite on the screws and all that stuff. Ended up they had to replace the fleet. Mm-hmm. Um, so the manufacturer gave us brand new machines that we got deployed out to the kids. Next thing you know, the power supplies start smoking and catching on fire in the classroom. So, yeah, but yeah, kids would just be in the classrooms and smoke would just start billowing out of classrooms because like two or three of these power supplies would just smoke out all of a sudden. And so (laughs) that was my like very first vendor negotiation um, when I when I started in K-12 education because it would have been a very different situation in the army had that happened because you know lives would have been at risk and it would yeah. have been very different so what, what's interesting what's crazy is i only know army yeah. so i am treating this vendor like lives are at risk <laughs> <laughs> i am going at them incredibly aggressively yeah. um and, you think this is a game? yeah like i was still captain phillips at that point in time like i yeah. had not turned into Joe fully yet and um, so I'm going at them like I'm fighting a war Uh (laughs) we ended up getting all new computers again and they refunded the entire purchase Um, uh, and it was about a million and a half dollars for for these computers Um, to be fair it is their fault if the things were smoking in class I'm trying to turn my paper in and Miss Phillips, I'm sorry, I can't get the paper to you. Mm-hmm. Why? What, what, what are you doing wrong? Well, my computer is on, is on fire. It's literally on fire on my desk. Yeah. Yeah, it was, it was basically <laughs> like that. Um, so that's prop. I mean, I have a lot of crazy stories, but that, that was my first, first crazy story coming into K-12 technology. All right. So uh, second question. From the moment I, uh, probably from the moment I really got to know you, like you're quite the prankster, my friend. Oh. <laughs> like, I am still, I'm not mad at you anymore about the jelly beans, but I'm not a fan every time I see those things. So, uh, do you have any noteworthy pranks that you feel comfortable telling on the podcast? Yeah, matter of fact, I'll, I'll tell you the the worst prank I ever did. Oh, my goodness. Because it went horribly wrong. I'm already uh, <laughs> <laughs> So I got this uh, spray off the internet, off Amazon. It's called uh, it's called liquid ass, right? And that's exactly what it smells like. So I take it into the office the next day, and I had been at my job for, I think I had been there about a year. Um, oh, just to clarify, this wasn't here. Again. Not here, not here, no. It was, an, it was a different place. And <laughs> I ended up, I sprayed it on a couple of people's desks, and I ended up, I sprayed very little on this guy's chair. Yeah. And um, so I find out later, because I go into a meeting. Yeah. And next thing I know, like two hours later, I'm seeing this huge ruckus going out. <laughs> like, this guy's yelling and screaming. I'm like, what's going on? Oh, my God, what's going on? And I'm getting these text messages <laughs> You know, and everybody's blaming me because they know I'm a prankster. Because uh, so, I told nobody, but they're all blaming. So here's what happened: yeah. is you know the stuff 
Well, the guy's like sitting at his desk and he's smelling it. Mm-hmm. And he's like, what is that? And at first he's thinking it's somebody else, right? Yeah. And then he's like, all right, maybe it's me. Like maybe <laughs> something's going on. So he goes to the locker room and he takes off his pants and he's like smelling it, right? Yeah. <laughs> and he's like, oh, okay. Like it's my pants. Like, yeah. right. So he calls his wife and he's like, hey, did you give me dirty pants to wear today? Oh, no. Because they smell horrible. And she's like, well, yeah, because I didn't have time to do laundry. So he's like cursing his wife out, thinking that she gave him no. these horrible smelling pants. Um, so he go- he leaves. He goes to Walmart. He buys new underwear and new pants, comes back, sits back in the chair. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> So at this point, he's realizing that it is not his pants. It is not his wife. Um, you know, and everybody's like, it had to be Joe. It had to, like, he's smelling this chair. He's making everybody come smell his chair at this point in time. And everybody's like, it had to be Joe. It had to be Joe. Um, so he busts into this meeting that I'm in. Yeah. Um, and it was like all senior leaders. And he busts in. And he's like, you, blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, Maybe let's talk outside, man. So, so we went and talked outside, and I was like, "I was like, what, what, what are you talking about? Like, what?" <laughs> so he tells me, "I'm like, yeah, dude, it was me. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. I didn't know it was gonna be that bad. Like, I had never used it before. I barely sprayed any on there. I thought it would just be like a smell, like you, you think that you know somebody passed gas or something. I did not expect it to go this far." So he's like telling me, you know, he's cool with it at this point. He's calmed down. He's telling me, you know, he, he cursed out his wife. So I had uh, I had to go. I went and bought his wife flowers. I got them a gift card to go to dinner. And I got them like a Uber black package or something so they could oh, all go out to God. dinner. Um, so, yeah, that's, that's going to be the worst prank. Usually I try to keep them pretty low key, like, you know, taking out a battery and a wireless mouse or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, that 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 was a good learning experience. Yeah, I think. Yeah. I'm not saying I don't trust you, Joe, but like if you offer me something, I definitely think twice. That's that's a really good lesson for security. I think. Yeah. Is is to always stay diligent. Yeah. You can send me an email. I'm like, yo, help desk. You really send me this email? I know it has the correct email and everything. All right, so um, just gonna touch back. Uh, second last question here. Touch back on your time in the military. Do you have any uh, story you want to share from there? Because I know uh, I have a, couple, a few people who listen who are also uh, who are part of the military. You know Captain America, part of the Marines. Um, also, was Captain America a Marine? No. He was an Army guy. He was, yes. Okay. Yeah. But he wasn't like airborne, he was the Army guy. Um, you know, it's hard to say. I mean, Captain America has definitely jumped out of planes. Um, and it, it's, it'd be hard to say back in World War II. Um, so I don't think he was what you would call airborne qualified. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't even think he needs a parachute to jump out of a plane. Um, I think it depends on how high it is. Yeah. Like, I mean, if he's jumping off this, the, the Empire State Building, like, he'd be out for a couple of days. Like, maybe. But I'm, I'm going off of when Aquaman jumped out of a plane in the okay. desert. That's literally Aquaman. I don't see much different in their strength, though. I, I think because Aquaman, well, first of all, he's the king of the sea, so he like, said crack and kill you. But I think the fact that He's strong because um, he's literally a different like physiology than humans. So I think he could make that jump and be fine. But then, like, if he's making that jump all the time, doesn't make it back to the water, he might have a problem. I mean, yeah, that that's fair. Right. I'm saying Captain America went down and was under ice for 70 years, and he was fine. So I, I mean, like, I, let's I, just say this: like, um, 
Aquaman wakes up earlier than Captain America does. Like he, Aquaman doesn't need help to wake up. I think that's where I'm going. Okay. But um, can you, do you have any stories from your time in the military that you that you like to share, or a story? It's not it's not too anything crazy yet. Um, let's see. There's so many, so many stories in the military. Um, I think probably the best story that I could tell you was the worst trouble I ever got in in the military. And it's not a very cool story. Um, I'm back in. I didn't steal a Jeep or anything. But uh, (laughs) it, it was so one thing about the army is i don't feel like i changed very much as i earned rank and and got promoted throughout the military but the way people perceived me definitely changed um, as i got more rank Um, so i was this this young specialist e4 21 years old um, and i had not yet learned the lesson that no matter what somebody who outranked me tells me i'm supposed to listen like I was like, no, I'm right, so I'm gonna do what I wanted. And this was the dumbest thing. I was my buddy Sergeant Dave. Well, he was Specialist Dave back then. He was locked out of his computer, mm-hmm. right? And it, he had like done three attempts. It wouldn't let him do it anymore. And I'm like, just hold the button and restart it. And uh, our sergeant at the time was like, uh, no, you need to call IT. And I'm like, you don't need to call IT. You just need to hold the button and restart it, and then I'll let him put his password in. He's like, no. You need to call IT. And I'm like, I don't understand. Like, it's going to work. Like, it's, it's going to be fine. Um, and so we, like, get into this debate. And, like, I'm thinking we're just debating, right? Oh, you yeah. No. Yeah, I just thought, he, you know, I thought he and I had a difference of opinion. I didn't <laughs> quite understand at that point in my life. He's, yeah, like, telling me something wow. to do, right? So uh, I'm like, no, I'll show you. And I held down the button. No. And I restarted the computer, and it worked. I'm like, see? Like, that's all you need to do. And he, oh, man, the amount of trouble that I got. So it was insubordination. I learned that word that day. Um, and, uh, yeah, I was put on special detail for weeks for that insubordination. Um, well, but wait, did now, like, he just tells everybody to hold down the Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. After that, uh, yeah, he was like, oh, yeah, this works. And I yeah. But yeah, at the, look at you like a dirty smile. Yeah, but and and that that was a very important lesson for me to learn in the military, which was orders are orders, mm-hmm. and that the people above you have been entrusted to give you those directions. And you know, you translate that to a combat situation. If you could imagine a soldier be like, "No, I'm, I'm not going to climb that wall. I'm going to take these stairs right here." Like that doesn't work in the army. Mm-hmm. Um, conversely. I had to unlearn that leaving the army. Yeah. You know, because I, I left the army and coming into a school district, I'm at that point a captain. I'm used to giving orders, right? So I'm like, I'm a great leader. I give orders and people do what I say and everything's effective and efficient. Well, I, I, I get around people that have never been in the military mm-hmm. and I'm telling them what to do. And all of a sudden they're like, oh, no, you can just push the button. <laughs> And I'm like, no, I said that. And I had to learn how to, again, think like a civilian and be able to learn how to empower people and um, be more democratic and laissez-faire in my leadership as opposed to authoritative. Um, So I I think it's really good lessons to learn both ways. And it, it really 
throughout that process taught me how to be an adaptive leader and I can adapt to the different circumstances I'm in, the different styles of people that I have to lead or the different styles of people that I have to follow. So. Okay, I lied because you told me that story. Uh, another question just popped in. So um, let's say for any prospective people looking to get into your field, like what would you want to tell them? Uh, on, whether it's what to expect or just uh, what, what, it, what making you feel kind of entails a little bit, especially somebody just looking to just jump right in. Sure. So what, what I would say about technology and trying to get into technology is first really think about what you want to do in technology. And the reason I'm saying that is if you're wanting to be a technical person, don't go to college. It is, I might say it's a complete waste of time, but it's not really going to help you in your career because <coughs> technology moves faster than college curriculum can keep up. So if you go to college to learn how to be a network engineer, how to be a systems engineer or an analyst or something like that or a coder or whatever, you're going to be behind by the time you graduate and now you still have to go do the works, the work to get certified and all that that your competition has. Now, if you want to go into technology leadership, a degree is very helpful for that. Um, but on the technology side of it, the tech tech side, college really doesn't have a lot of value added at this point. It just can't keep up with how fast the industry changes. So what I would say is look at some training programs. Um, there's some very good ones around Kansas City that centric, centric you know, yeah, 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 four months for their day track, six months for their night track. Don't go to Centric thinking you're going to graduate, become a network engineer, making 70 grand. You're still going to be an entry-level IT person. You know, chances are. I mean, sure, some people could, you know, get that 70,000-year job. But what it gives you is that nice foundation. And now you can easily find a job making forty, forty-five thousand dollars $45,000 a year with that four months to six months. Okay, so if you think about this, and yes, it, you still have loans because you have to pay for that program. Yeah. But if you think about it, you spend less than a year getting those skills and now you're an entry-level job and you're paying those loans back. You go to college for four years, have to try to support yourself for four years, get out of college. Now you still have to find a program to go through because nobody's going to hire you. Um, or if you do get hired, like your skills just aren't up to par. I mean, it just is what it is. Um and you can write better and you can do critical thinking probably better and, and might have some more creative skills and problem solving, but that's not going to translate as well as the guys who have the, the tech skills for that part of the field. But again, if you're wanting to go into leadership or you want to go into the support side of the house with technology, you know, if you want to work a help desk or be a building technician or, or something like that, a degree can be helpful. But again, you can also start with help desk or building tech, making forty to 50000 a year without that college degree. And so as somebody who's working on his doctorate right now, you know, one of the things I'm, I'm, look <laughs> what I'm looking at, I'm just putting it in context, man. Um, yeah, whatever you say. Yeah. But, I mean, that's, that's one of the things I'm looking at right now for my own kids is, you know, what is college? What value does it bring to them and what they're trying to accomplish in their lives. And um, it, college isn't the best option for everybody. There are 3,300 unfilled IT jobs in Kansas City right now with an average salary of 90000 a year. They can't find people to do the work. That's 
why it's, it seems like uh, I remember Centric first getting here, and then all of a sudden it is like, man, I, can't, I hear the commercials everywhere. Yeah. They must be doing like, really good business. Yeah, so. And that's just in the Kansas City area. If you look at Kansas and Missouri combined, you're looking at over 400,000 unfilled IT jobs. Um, yeah, but these don't these jobs don't require college, mm -hmm. and I I think that's what's really important, especially if you're coming from a lower socioeconomic background or a minority background, where you know the college track you haven't been fully prepared for that, depending on where you went to school or whatever. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times, you know, I know this as growing up from that really poor background. I didn't think college was going to happen for me. It wasn't even it, it wasn't like I thought about it and went, oh no, that's not for me. I never even thought about it mm -hmm. until I joined the military and they're like here's money for college and I'm like oh I can go to college like that's how that happened for me it wasn't like oh I want to go to college so I'm gonna join the military mm -hmm. it just didn't feel like something that's possible for me so um, with with that if you can kind of lay out your life mm -hmm. and really think about what type of life do you want and you decide technology is what you want to do to fill your time with your days then decide what part of technology do you think you're interested in and you can always hit college later if you get in with those entry-level skills and decide oh, I want to be a technology director I need a degree you can always hit college later but you're gonna have more money to pay for it all right last question so uh, I've asked every single person so far about this and so far everybody's giving me the same one but I still, I still like to ask to see what people's heads are at so would you like um, to find uh, to have the world achieve the world peace or put an end to world hunger. So there's actually this thing now, Saints Row, uh, for this video game. Basically, like, if GTA was even crazier, mm. um, you become the president, right? And then uh, the first kind of, you're making these weird little decisions as you're walking up to get about the state of the union. Um, your uh, vice president comes and like, you want to be the president who cures cancer or do you want to be the president that ends the world hunger? So I'm going to take a pragmatic approach mm -hmm. because right now the only reason we cannot solve world hunger is because we won't. There's more than enough food on this planet for everybody to have food to eat. Mm -hmm. In America, we throw away half the food that we grow. Um, it is kind of crazy when you think about it. Yeah, I mean, so the, the only reason why we have starving people is because we let there be starving people. Now, world peace, um, I don't know if that's possible because we're human. Um, so, you know, to, to think about world peace, you'd have to really take away the idea of people needing resources that other people have. Mm -hmm. That's where all wars start. You know, whether it's over this, you know, drinking water well, um, or, you know, this land to graze your cattle or oil or whatever. Wars start because people fight over resources. And um, so I don't know while we're human, if that's something that is achievable to, to reach world peace, but I absolutely believe we could solve world hunger. Okay. So I, I, I would choose that. You are the first person to choose world hunger. Everybody, the main gist of what everybody else says is that they choose world peace because 
then you can solve well it's like they look at it like we take care of this and then since nobody wants to fight anymore they can now take care of that and mm-hmm. you know i think when i first looked at it i mean i like probably within 30 seconds i said well peace and then you know, i was like no that doesn't seem right that well so right. but what if you solve world peace by allowing some people to be hungry like what if that's the way you achieve world peace is by saying you know three percent have to starve to death because we're going to stop fighting over the resources to feed the lowest common denominator of people so okay all right, so guys, that was uh, Joe Phillips. What is your title again? Uh, <laughs> Director of Technology. Director of Technology here Yeah, that's like really complicated. Yeah, but you have no excuse to contact either me or the podcast. Like, there's so many different ways you can do it. I'd rather have it now so then later. And then eventually I'll probably figure out a very streamlined way for you to say this. But right now I'm just like, yeah, it's whatever. But um, if the people want to get a hold of you, Joe, how do they get a hold of you? Uh, best way is just look me up, Joe Phillips, on LinkedIn. Yeah. Um, I'm really excited to be a, 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 a post on your LinkedIn thing Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so uh, I will let you know exactly when the bad boys are ready to drop, but uh, presumably the middle of July okay. will be probably when it comes out. Thank you so much for doing this. We actually, you are the longest episode of the season. <laughs> uh, coming up on an hour, 20 minutes. Like, we put in a lot of work today, and um, I was so fascinated with this job because um, knowing all the different things that you do, um, that um, well, probably, probably maybe people think about more now, but still don't really understand like how important um, this because you're not a teacher and uh, obviously it's it's important work that teachers do in the classroom but it's just the stuff that allows teachers to do their jobs yeah absolutely especially in this changing ever-changing world where education is not just books it's like technology is such a part of it now that you can't you can't hide from it no not at all you can't hide from it at all so um, thank you so much joe you got anything else you want to say to people um, no, just stay blessed. Stay blessed. That's, that should be a t-shirt. <laughs> should be a t-shirt. I feel like I, I could try to make the town like some of the copyright. Probably, yeah. So, thank you guys so much. Stay safe. Joe, say goodbye to the people. Yeah, goodbye, people. All right. Stay safe out there, guys. Bye.